Welcome back to BFR Radio. Now, this podcast has actually been a couple of months in the making. I had this ready to go, and I actually recorded this late October before our Strength and Conditioning Conference, which was at the beginning of November. Now, some of the other work I've been doing with uh, Masters of Strength and Conditioning at UniSQ, I was actually doing some work on statistics and after reading all these papers, I thought I could do a much better job. Work has prevented me from getting this podcast out, but I've gone through, I've added some more detail to this podcast to make it even better, to give a little bit more understanding. Now, before we get into the podcast, a little bit of update, which I like to update everyone on what's been going on. And as you can imagine, there's a lot going on and we're heading to Christmas. So this will be our last podcast for the year. And my goal is next year is to be a lot more organized and have some regular guests and article reviews. Fingers crossed on that one. Now, for those people who want to know a little bit more about BFR and dip their toes into knowledge, I've actually got a free Basics of BFR course. And I do know a lot of people have been taking advantage of that. And there's a small learning component or a group of questions afterwards. Don't have to do it. There's no certificate. There's no pressure to get them right or wrong. However, it's a nice way just to test your level of understanding at the end. And for those who've inquired about the online course, uh, thanks for your patience. It's still in production. And unfortunately, with everything going on, it's taking a little longer than normal. As I mentioned, the goal was to actually have this prior to our strength and conditioning conference which was in early November. Now, November's long past. I had an exhibition stand. I was going to say, come and say hello, but instead I'm going to say thanks for those people who came to say hello. It was really great to connect with old friends and also make some new friends and and get people who have been thinking about BFR to have a go at it. And whilst I was there, I presented and talked about the work I do with Winter Olympian and silver medalist, Jackie Narricott. You may remember that she was on the podcast a few episodes ago, and the presentation was our strength journey over the last seven years. I called it skeleton strength, not the bone kind. Hope you got the joke there. And there was a lot more in there than just BFR. It was more about my change in philosophy and how we negotiated the improvements in the program, or I should say how the program progressed over the seven years, how we negotiated COVID and what we did with basically no equipment, BFR and bands, and then how we progressed into more normal lifting, but at a reduced capacity because she lifted basically on her driveway at home when the weather was okay. While I'm talking about athletes, one of the other athletes that I coach is double Olympian and decathlete Cedric Dubler. And prior to the Tokyo Olympics, I'm not sure if everyone knew this, but he completed a 12-day hamstring rehab program. That's less than two weeks. Now, what actually happened is, I'm not sure if people are aware, is that three weeks out from the Tokyo Olympics, he was at a local competition and he tore his hamstring in a race. Typically, we would say competition is over. However, he said, you know what, we've got nothing to lose. Let's go for it. And I pretty much put all my knowledge from all the different papers I've read and experiences into trying to put this total program together. He had a grade two hamstring tear. And at the 12-day mark, he ran 95% of his maximum speed, that's his maximum speed time taken from 100 meters, over 60. 
And after that, he also had to do other battery of event specific tests, such as he had to do a high jump curve and some long jump pop-ups. And a week later, that's three weeks, he actually completed a full 10 events with no issues whatsoever. And if anyone did watch the decathlon at the Olympics, he was that guy spurring on his training partner, Ash Maloney, helping him to get that bronze medal that Ash won and pretty much an iconic moment at the Tokyo Olympics. You got to remember that normally a hamstring injury, a grade two, would take at least six weeks before an athlete would be considered to be back to around that 100% mark of which they would then return back into full training. Anyway, if you want to get an idea of what he did or rather what he went through, it was quite emotional. Check out his YouTube channel, which is Cedric Dubler. It's D-U-B-L-E-R. In his own right, Cedric is a fantastic vlogger. So not only is it an entertaining vlog, but he covers the progressions really well. Worth a look. Maybe a podcast guest. Let me know. With respect to product developments, I'm always trying to improve a product and move forward. I think the product is pretty good. However, for those people who've got bigger arms, I actually now have longer cuffs for the upper body. The website hasn't been updated yet, so please stay tuned. And this is perhaps a good segue to today's podcast. It's an article review, and it's all about the bench press. The difference is that today we're going to go heavy. And with most of the BFR strength training research based on low loads of 20 to 30% of 1RM, looking at research at higher loads may hold some interest. And one of the reasons why I'm reviewing a BFR training article that focuses on high loads is that I'm currently putting together an article for a colleague. And hence, I thought this was too good not to share. And also, I've been training using high loads with BFR, experimenting, and I'm actually going to share some of my findings within this article review because I think it fits quite nicely. And I have had a few questions from different people about why I use higher loads. Therefore, hopefully this article helps with all of that and brings it together nicely. Now, I've always said that load is still king, especially when training athletes that require strength, power, and speed. But this concept does have potential for those who like to lift heavier or athletes who are looking for a different stimulus. In particular, for athletes that still need to be touching those higher percentages of their 1RM, or athletes who may be joint compromised and can't lift those heavy loads, but still need that type of stimulus performance. This is where this high load or higher load BFR strength training may fit in nicely. Personally, I've lifted at higher loads above 60% of 1RM with BFR cuffs on for quite some time now. Therefore, it's quite nice to review some literature to show what they're actually finding and hopefully find something really positive there without giving too much away. This then brings us to today's review article, which is called Short-Term Blood Flow Restriction Increases Power Output and Bar Velocity During the Bench Press. And this was published in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. And the primary author is Michael Wilkes, who, after doing a fair bit of reading, has actually published a few BFR papers looking at high-load BFR strength training. Getting into the article, picking out the key pieces in the introduction, this article not only focuses on using higher loads in the bench press using BFR, but also compares the differences in the cuff width between thin 
and thick cuff widths. If we look at the current products on today's market, the cuff width varies anywhere between 5 to 14 centimeters. A potential benefit of using a wider cuff is that it restricts arterial blood flow at a lower pressure than narrower BFR cuffs. For example, using a wider cuff of 13.5 centimeters achieves arterial occlusion of a limb at 144 millimeters of mercury, whereas a narrower cuff of only 5 centimeters requires significantly higher pressures at 235 millimeters of mercury. In BFR, we're not looking for full occlusion pressure, but that gives you an idea on how the different widths of the cuff can affect what kind of pressure differences we would see. Another consideration with wide cuffs is how it may affect the range of motion during exercise. So therefore, the above findings about the thin versus thick cuffs would have considerations and suggest a potential effect of cuff width on efficiency. If we now turn our attention to the use of BFR during resistance training, most of the focus has been on chronic adaptive changes. Few studies have compared the effects of high load resistance training under BFR conditions. And prior to the study, the effect of BFR on power output during strength effort hasn't been studied. And considering that high power output is a significant determinant of performance in numerous sport disciplines, this type of research really holds some great interest. At this point, I should probably point out that today's article is about looking at ways of shifting the needle of performance. If you have someone that's injured or they have a low training age, high repetition, low load BFR training would be absolutely perfect in this scenario. Given the widespread use of bench press as a means of developing strength and power upper limbs, the authors thought it'd be interesting to investigate whether resistance training with BFR affects power output and bar velocity and obviously at those higher loads. The aim of this study was to evaluate the effects of BFR with two different types of cuffs, narrow and wide, on power output and bar velocity changes during the bench press as the main effects of training under BFR. The authors hypothesized that short-term high-pressure BFR would induce such changes and thus would increase power output and bar velocity in the bench press exercise. If we now turn our attention to what they actually did in the study, they first tested for their 1RM max. Following this, they had three different training sessions or experimental sessions under the different conditions. The first one was training without BFR, or this was the control group. The second session was performed using the narrow BFR cuff. It was only four centimeters wide. And the third session was performed using a wider 10 centimeter cuff. The entire research procedure lasted seven weeks and they had one week off between each test. During each experimental session, the subjects performed one set of three repetitions of the bench press exercise against a load of 70% of 1RM. Obviously, they did warm-ups prior to that. If we look at traditional strength training without BFR, it's recommended that we use loads of a minimum of 70% of 1RM to induce changes in muscle strength or hypertrophy, and such the loadings used within this article review fits nicely within the concept of high load lifting. All the reps were performed with maximal velocity during the concentric phase of the bench press. They used a linear position transducer to measure peak power output, mean power output, peak bar velocity, and mean bar velocity. This is my opinion now, is that if I was studying 
bench press or a squat, something that's not really high velocity, explosive 20 to 30%, I'd be looking at mean or average values. However, I'm going to report everything within this study and you can make your mind up which variable that you would use. One thing about the participants of this study, which I really like, is the inclusion criteria for the bench press, where they had to be able to bench press at least 120% of their body mass. For the subjects in the study, they weighed on average 84 kilos, and therefore their bench press 1RM was around 140 kilos. Not very often do we see this kind of inclusion criteria and get subjects. Therefore, I'm pretty excited that this has a greater level of validity than just recreational athletes or just fit and healthy individuals. I know it's quite difficult to get these kind of subjects, therefore kudos to the authors. This is therefore a great strength, no pun intended, of this study. During the three reps during their set, every repetition was performed without bouncing the bar off the chest. The cuff pressure was set to approximately 90% of full arterial occlusion pressure. Therefore, for the narrow 4 centimeter wide cuff, the group averages for the cuff inflation pressure was 323 millimeters of mercury, and for the wider 10 centimeter cuff, 146 millimeters of mercury. The restriction of the muscular blood flow by the use of the cuff was applied immediately before the start of the exercise and released immediately on the completion of the third repetition. Therefore, it wasn't held for very long at all. Now, just as a little side note, in my experience, 90% of full arterial occlusion using a thin cuff at that kind of pressure, at 323 millimeters of mercury, is high. Now, research guidelines advise using a pressure of between 50 to 80% of arterial occlusion pressure, and this percentage varies upon the cuff width. Now, I know they are looking at the differences between the two, and we would expect a difference in the pressure. As a comparison, my upper body BFR cuffs that I use are five centimeters wide, and I train at 140 millimeters of mercury. My calculated pressure is 160. I find that a little bit too high, and I find 140 mils of mercury to be suitable. I get really great effects in terms of what I should be feeling with the BFR. My skin color is good. My capillary refill time is also very good. And that's the thing with BFR is that you need to have that level of individualization. Would I ever train at 323 mils of mercury, to be honest? No. Personally, this is going to be too high or too much for me. But I'm not going to take this away from the study. So let's get back into it and onto the results. And actually, before we do look at the results, I feel it's important to quickly comment about the statistics used in the analysis. And this is the reason why I've actually re-recorded this whole episode is because of this section. Now, I'm not a statistics genius, and this is not going to be an extensive review of stats. So please stay with me on this. I promise you that it will be quick and worthwhile, and it will value add to this article review. For a lot of the studies that are performed, and in particular including this one, they typically use one or a combination of the following two statistics, to name a few. The first one is called a null hypothesis significance testing. This is that traditional t-test, and where a p-value tells us where the difference between two results is significant or not. That's where 
P would be less than 0.05. And a lot of people just usually look at this without really digging into the results. The second is called magnitude-based inferences. And this assigns probabilities for the observed results of a study intervention to qualitative interpretations. While a p-value can inform the reader whether an effect exists, the p-value will not reveal the size of the effect. The use of magnitude-based inferences assesses the likelihood of these observed results being true and can allow authors to be honest with their sample size and better acknowledge results and any trivial effects. Effect sizes are typically reported in literature according to a number and a corresponding word that is easy to understand. For example, if the effect size is greater than 0.8, the probability that the observed results are large. Effect size between 0.8 and 0.5 are moderate. Effect size scores between 0.49 and 0.20 are small. And anything less than 0.2 are trivial. This therefore not only improves the interpretation of the results observed, but also gives a better understanding to the results, even when the results are significant according to the p-values. Therefore, the addition of using effect size statistics help us to understand what kind of difference was observed in a more real terminology that is relevant for the type of study. And in particular, the sample size and the level of lifters in this article. In particular, a lot of sports science training studies uses effect sizes to help better understand the results. The reason why I wanted to highlight this is that if I only report the results according to what the authors wrote, these are the findings. Firstly, if you look at differences, and this is only using the p-value, the differences between using the wide cuff and no cuff, the results showed that all measures for velocity and power were significantly higher during the bench press, performed using the wider BFR cuff compared to that non-BFR control condition. In particular, peak power increased by 21%, mean power 16%, peak velocity 22%, and mean velocity 21%. So all around approximately a 20% improvement in all forms of measures when adding the BFR wide cuff compared to not lifting with the BFR cuffs. If we look at the differences between using a wide cuff and a narrow cuff, the results also indicate that all four measures for power and velocity were significantly higher in favor of the wider cuff. And finally, there was no significant differences between the narrow cuff and wearing no cuff at all. In the article results, the authors only focused on using the p-value. So the difference between the results between either intervention wasn't significant. Therefore, according to this analysis, only using the wide BFR cuffs are worthwhile. Now, I'm going to talk through the results, but this time include the effect size. And I'll also include a few numbers as well to add a little bit more detail. If we look at comparing wide cuffs to no cuffs, wearing the wider BFR cuffs significantly increased average power and velocity. Average power increased 16%. That was lifting at 527 watts without the cuffs on compared to 610 watts with the cuffs on. This effect size or the observed difference between these two interventions for this was large. Babel velocity increased 21% with mean velocity increasing from 0.42 with no cuffs to 0.51 meters per second. And this was a very large effect size. 
For this comparison, the use of effect sizes adds a level of depth to the level of significance. If we now compare the narrow 4cm cuff to no cuffs, remember that the paper reported there was no significant differences observed for all measures of velocity and power, that is, the addition of cuffs made no difference. If we add in the use of effect size, we can see a slightly different picture. Despite no significant difference, there was a moderate effect size for mean bar velocity increasing from 0.42 to 0.45. Now, these are also group means. Within this, there's a fluctuation where some people will probably see a remarkable increase using the cuffs, whether it's wide or narrow. And some people may see little to none. And therefore, that's a responder, non-responder. Therefore, it's important to understand that these are group results, not individual. Mean power output changes were only trivial, and the addition of the cuffs improved output from 520 watts, that's no cuffs, to 727 watts with the addition of the cuffs. Hence, why the observed difference was trivial. Not significant, but there's something there. Peak power outputs also demonstrated a moderate effect size for wearing the narrow cuffs, resulting in power output changes from 734 to 773 watts. Finally, comparing both BFR conditions, that's the wide versus the narrow cuffs, wearing the wider cuffs resulted in significantly greater and moderate to large effect sizes across all measures of velocity and power outputs, both mean and peak. Although this just reinforces the advantages of using wider cuffs, it does show a potential for the narrow BFR cuffs, in particular over not wearing cuffs at all. In the article's discussion, the author spoke about the observed effects. If we think about BFR in general, typically the main adaptive changes are related to this increase in metabolic stress. And this is created by having the cuffs inflated for a longer or a good period of time. However, the application of BFR in this study lasted only a few seconds, typically around four seconds for these three repetitions. Therefore, the metabolic stress was rather low due to the short duration of the effort to have an effect. The author suggested that the inflation and deflation of the BFR cuffs for each set could potentially produce similar effects to those induced by ischemic preconditioning. The authors also suggested that when assessing the impact on BFR on acute performance changes during resistance exercise, not only should physiological factors be taken into consideration, but also mechanical factors. And in this case, they're referring to the cuff. As such, the mechanical energy accumulated and generated by the cuff could be a potential cause and explanation of the obtained results. In particular, the mechanical energy that the cuffs may give to the body on the way up. Now, interestingly, I got a little bit thrown off here in the article that discussed mechanical energy when using elastic cuffs. However, I do know that the brand they mentioned wasn't of elastic material. So I'm not quite sure that exact reasoning. However, that's one of the points that they put forward. Overall, we were able to see an advantage for adding BFR to bench press using loads of 70% of 1RM with respect to velocity. And perhaps another important thing to point out here is the addition of BFR to high load lifting did not show any negative side effects. Now, just as you think the article review is coming to a close, I've got something to add to this podcast. 
After reading this article, I used this concept to see if the addition of BFR would affect my own barbell velocities. Now the upper body cuffs that I use are of a thinner width, five centimeters. I personally like the feeling of thinner cuffs as my range of movement isn't restricted. And therefore I wasn't gonna compromise in my own little testing experiment. The pressure I used was, as I mentioned earlier, 140 millimeters of mercury compared to the 323 millimeters of mercury in the study. And there was some slight changes to the protocol I monitored barbell velocities across incremental loads leading up to a 1RM. As I have no spotter, I stopped short of a true 1RM. And the reason why I used an incremental loading of submaximal loads is that I've actually got quite a lot of data spanning a long period going back in time. And therefore, I thought, why deviate from that as I've got lots of numbers to compare non-BFR to potentially what I might be testing with the cuffs on. And what I did is performed the non-BFR testing first when I was fresher, and then four days later, I repeated the same testing with the BFR cuffs on. Personally, I'm normally reasonably fatigued after strength testing, and sometimes it actually takes over a week to even come close to the loads and the velocities and the strength abilities that I achieved during that initial testing period. And my reasoning for using the BFR intervention second is that I wanted to really make it hard for myself. I would have assumed that fatigue may have been a factor and hence, if I did this the other way around, in other words, if I used the BFR intervention first and the non-BFR intervention second and saw an advantage for the BFR, then Potentially, one could argue that it was just fatigue and not the BFR cuffs was the reason that I saw the difference in these velocities. If you want to know the results, trying to go through five incremental loads pretty quickly, I went from 80 to 100 to 120, 130, 140. I stopped at 140 because I knew that at 145, maybe 150, it might be a bit too much with no spotter. And I had an improvement wearing the BFR cuffs on all five occasions. In particular, 80 kilos, 0.87 with no cuffs, improving to 0.91. 100 kilos, 0.79 to 0.86. 120 kilos, 0.66 to 0.77. 130 kilos, 0.49 to 0.55. And at 140 kilos, I had a 0.09 improvement from 0.40 to 0.49. Across all measures, as I said, I was quicker with the BFR cuffs on. The only difference was that I was using thinner cuffs. I was using a lower pressure at 140 millimeters of mercury. Once again, I could not tolerate 323 millimeters of mercury using my cuffs. Now, potentially I could have used that wider cuff and done a third testing session. However, I felt that, well, I, to be honest, I didn't really want to use a 10 centimeter cuff. It would be too restrictive and I really wanted to get on with my next training block and do something with the data as opposed to doing lots of testing sessions. So what does this all mean? In case of this study in particular, I think for me, it showed that we can safely use higher loads with BFR. If you look at how the addition of BFR can increase velocity and power output during movements, there is some good evidence for increased velocities during strength training. The advantages of enhanced barbell velocity can be highlighted 
in a non-BFR study, and it was a six-week bench press study, where the participants incorporated either a fast or a slow velocity three times a week. Both groups improved strength performance from pre to post over the six-week period, but implementing a faster bar velocity resulted in significantly greater gains than using a slower bar velocity. One repetition maximum increased 18.2% for the fast velocity group compared to only 9.7% for the slow velocity group. They also measured lactate and this tended to be significantly higher for the faster bar velocities compared to the slow bar velocities. And remember when we look at the mechanisms as to the effectiveness of BFR, that there is this pseudo hormonal effect of lactate with respect to BFR training. And although this aforementioned study, that fast versus slow velocity bench press six week study was non-BFR, potentially the incorporation of a faster velocity may hold an additional benefit we haven't thought of before. Another concept of improved velocities is when we look at the effect of repetition cluster sets on velocity and strength gains. A cluster set is where a set is typically halved with a small rest in between. For example, instead of doing three sets of eight repetitions, you'd look at doing six sets of four repetitions. Double the sets, half the reps. Where that first set of eight, you would do four reps, have a small break before completing your next four repetitions and then have your normal rest break in between set one and set two. And you repeat this for set two and three. When you look at a lot of the research that looks at cluster sets and velocities, this type of methodology results in less of a decrement in velocity across the reps. That's less of a decrement when you incorporate cluster sets. When you look at longitudinal studies, the typical final outcomes is greater strength gains compared to if you would do your normal traditional three sets of eight. As always, the practical applications in the training setting is important. As a result, after my testing, I'm now training using BFR high loading, incorporating cluster sets, whilst using velocity as a feedback mechanism. My focus during my main lifts, that's bench press squats and shrug pulls, is the intent in how I move the barbell, and therefore the use of velocity feedback is important. Do I think I can finally improve my old man 1RM? So it's going to be really interesting to see how my training goes. Even if I don't improve my 1RM, just being able to improve my submaximal velocities was going to be a great outcome. I'll keep you in touch with that. And I have actually posted a couple of snippets of these sessions on my socials, in particular Instagram, to keep you updated. That's where I'm going to leave this article and the review of my own little experiment. I hope you enjoyed how I went a little bit deeper in the article review and hopefully the addition of those extra effect size statistics, A, didn't bore you, but B, made you think about things a little bit more, that there is some potential there. And then my own little experiment, adding that into it. And after four weeks, I've actually seen a slight improvement in my bench press and my squatting velocities, which is quite interesting, but I think it's going to take a longer period of time before I see any major shifts in my training because I do think although I am getting older that I do have a, a big training age so any kind of shifts is going to take a longer period of time to see true change 
If this episode has sparked your own interest in starting exercise regime, get in touch with me through my website, which is www.thebfr.co or also our socials, which is at thebfr.co on Instagram or Twitter, which is at thebfr underscore co. You can also purchase your own BFR cuffs through our website and you can also find that again at thebfr.co. And lastly, before I go, a couple of favors from me to you. If you know of someone who could benefit from this episode, please share it. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please give it a rating on iTunes. As this is the last podcast of the year, thanks for your support during the year. I've truly appreciated your interaction, your comments, and all the love that you've given back. And if there's anything that you feel that could be of really great value in this podcast, please let me know as I do love that interaction with you all wish you all a merry christmas and i hope you all have a safe and a great festive season thanks for listening see you in the new year and remember to keep the pump